Thank you so much, Matt, for leading us in prayer just then. Thank you for your words. I got my Father's Day present early this year. I really don't have any interest in having a recording of what you're about to hear, but I want a copy of what we heard a few minutes ago. <laughs> uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, got my precious wife, Amy, here who taught Matt everything he knows. And uh, we appreciate the heat. We were with you the last time we were here. It was cold and you had no heat at all in the building. Uh, a good memory, but aren't we glad it's a memory? <laughs> this has been um, such a blessed weekend for us uh, as a family here. When Matt first called several months ago uh, to ask if I'd be willing to come and, and preach for you all today, the first verse that came to my mind was out of Psalm 45. There's a phrase there that says, in the place of your fathers shall be your sons. And I was just struck with what an incredible thing this is, how significant for me personally. You see, my dad before me was pastor all my life. Um, he stood in pulpits all my life preaching the word and the Lord's allowed me to have that privilege. And now in the place where my father stood, I get to watch my son standing and ministering. And uh, it's an unspeakable blessing. Goes without saying that all of us desire as much blessing as we can possibly experience in our families. We love our families deeply. Uh, so toward that end, I want us to consider uh, two ideas that are presented in the text that we're about to read. What we're going to see is that we must trust the Lord to bless and build our families. And then we must be faithful to do what he calls us to do, to seek to bring his blessing on our families. If you would... Take your Bible and uh, join us in turning this morning to Psalm 127. We'll be reading both Psalms 127 and 128. They're both short. And I think this is the way this works here. Uh, would you stand with me is our way of showing honor to the word of our God. Psalm 127 a song of the sense of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him, 
He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And then Psalm 128, another song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Songs of Ascents were songs we understand that were sung by Israelite families as they would be making their way to Jerusalem, especially for the three high and holy feasts that took place each year. And these songs of ascents kind of combine for us in our minds the thought of God's blessings on a family and divine worship and how those things go together. Again, all of us want to see the Lord bless our families just as much as he possibly will. And uh, for that reason, we want to consider the first idea out of Psalm 127, which is we must trust the Lord to bless our families. Since the Lord is the only one who can bring his blessing on our families, we have to trust him to do that. I want you to notice several things here in this psalm, four things especially. And here's the first one. The Lord is the only one who can build our families. So we have to trust him to do it. Look at the first two phrases there in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The word house is used in different ways in Scripture. Sometimes it's used of obviously a a literal house or structure it's used of nations and dynasties it's used of nuclear families and the second half of this psalm as we'll see in a moment lets us know we're on the right track when we think of a family as something that the Lord must build the psalmist point here is unmistakable That is, that no matter how hard we work to build anything, all our work is going to be in vain. All of our work is going to be useless unless the Lord blesses by doing the building. So when it comes to our families, we have to depend completely on the Lord to build them and to bless them. He's the only one who can. Second thing we see here is that the Lord is the only one who can watch over our families effectively. He's the only one who can protect and preserve our families, the only one who can keep them safe. He's the only one who can do this. Look at those second and third phrases in verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
And the image is clear, isn't it? No, no matter how diligent the efforts of a city watchman to keep his eyes peeled, watching for approaching dangers, the city is still going to be overwhelmed by the force of an enemy and, and, and destroyed unless the Lord protects that city by his power. And when it comes to our families, we have to trust the Lord to protect them because he's the only one who can. The third thing we see here is that the Lord is the only one who can give to our families the provision that we need. Material provision in particular is in view here. He's the only one who can provide for our families, so we have to trust him to provide. Look at verse 2. That's where we see this. It is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So no matter how early we start our work day, no matter how late we work into the night, no matter how anxious is our toil as we labor to provide for our families, it will all be in vain unless the Lord blesses our family by giving, by giving graciously the provision required. Uh, the promise here is that the Lord will give to those he loves their daily bread. And he'll provide it even when and especially when we trust him enough to adhere to a work schedule that allows for proper rest. When we trust him to provide, he can and will lift the burden of anxiety that can otherwise crush the life out of us. And what does that do when he lifts that burden of anxiety and worry? What it does is it frees us up to work really hard because we need not only the strength for our labor, but we don't have to waste our energies in useless things like anxiety and worry. What's more, several trusted translations like the New American Standard, for example, render the final phrase of verse 2 in this way. He gives to his beloved even in his sleep. <laughs> Certainly true that even when we are sound asleep, the Lord is working, working, working to make abundant provision for our families. We can trust him to do that. When it comes to our families, we can and must trust the Lord to provide all that's needed. Why? Because he's the only one who can. That's why. And he will. A fourth thing we see here in Psalm 127, the Lord is the only one who can give to our families the blessing of children. And so we have to trust him to do this. Look at verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So our children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord. That is, we receive our children from the hand of the Lord. You might remember when Jacob met Esau, Esau saw Jacob's children. He said, who are these with you? Jacob said, Jacob said these are the children whom the Lord has given me. Our children are pictured here as a reward. That is something to be greatly desired. Our children are great blessings and not burdens, not at all. 
our children, we read here, are like arrows. The whole purpose of an arrow is to go where the warrior cannot go. Just as a warrior puts his arrow to the, the string, uh, draws his bow, and sends his arrows out to accomplish his purposes in battle, this is incredible. But drink this in with me. We as parents, we have the privilege of seeing our children in time shot out by the Lord into the world to accomplish his purposes. The background of this last sentence of verse 5 seems to be a legal dispute in which a godly father's hand is strengthened in a just cause by having sons at his side to join in advocating for that cause. The principle here has in view the great blessing of having the Lord by his sovereign grace bring our children to also embrace Christ through repentant faith and join us in advancing the cause of our Savior in the world. Going to places we'll never go, never see, accomplishing things that we could never even begin to think about accomplishing. When God gives us the great privilege of marriage and we desire children, we have to trust him to give those children if in his perfect wisdom and goodness that is his plan for us. We trust him to do this because he's the only one who can. So since the Lord is the only one who can bring these blessings on our families, since he's the only one who can bless our families with shelter and protection and provision, he's the only one who can give us children, he is the only one who can bring our children along with us into the cause of grace in the world. Since he's the only one that can do these things, we have to trust him to do it. We have to trust the Lord to bless our families. Well, that's the message of Psalm 127. Psalm 128 gives us a balancing consideration and provides our second and final point. I don't know about y'all, but that's my folks back home. That's their favorite word in any sermon, my final point. The second and final point is that we must seek the Lord's blessing on our families in the way that he tells us to seek his blessings. We have to actively and persistently do the things that he tells us we're responsible to do as moms and dads in order to place our families in the way of blessing, to position them to receive the blessing of the Lord. So we trust the Lord to build and bless our families for all the reasons we've just seen. But there's more. We are responsible to do all he calls us to do to position our families for blessing. Now, how does he tell us what does he say to us as moms and dads? What does he call on us to do to bring the Lord's blessings on our families? Well, he gives us the answer there in the first verse. Look at it. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So it's very simple. We must fear the Lord. If you want to see your children blessed, you simply need to start by fearing the Lord. And this, of course, is not slavish fear. This is not a mere fear of punishment, though there certainly is a place for that in the kingdom economy. But no, this is the holy and healthy fear we have when daily, and this is essential, when daily 
we drink in, drink in, drink in from Scripture all that the Lord reveals to us about himself, about his infinite and eternal wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. And we drink in these realities about God from Scripture until we are intoxicated with the beauty of who he is. And that leads to us so admiring him <laughs> and so respecting him and so loving him and so trusting him that we can't help but walk in his ways. We, uh, it leads to our so honoring him and loving him that we fear this, we fear doing anything whatsoever that would in any way displease or dishonor him. The thing we find most disgusting to think about, the thing that calls us to recoil in horror is the thought of doing or saying anything that would in any way displease or dishonor the one we love most. This is a whole different study. But let me just suggest this as a premise and encourage you to check it out for yourself. I think if you take in the witness of Scripture from beginning to end, fearing the Lord really boils down to aiming at six things every day. And I would encourage you to think about aiming for these six things as much as possible all day, every day. What six things? Seeing Him clearly. Knowing Him intimately loving him wholeheartedly treasuring him supremely trusting him completely and obeying him unreservedly every day may God give us a grace to have our feet hit the floor aiming to see him clearly oh Lord show me more of yourself today in your word as I spend time with you I want to see you clearly as you've revealed yourself in, in creation as reflected in Matt's prayer earlier. And I want to see you, Lord, in the, in the pages of Scripture. I certainly want to see you in the person of your Son. Help me to see you as clearly as I possibly can with the eyes of my heart. And then, Lord, help me to know you intimately by talking to you about everything all day long. And then, Lord, help me to love you. Hold on. Help me to love you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and strength. Help me to love you with my desires. Help me to love you with my feelings and attitudes. Help me to love you with my thoughts. Help me to love you with my words and my actions. And help me to treasure you supremely. Help me to treasure you far, far more than anything else or anyone else. Cause me, Lord, to desire you far, 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 far more than I desire anything else. And all creation, help me desire you. And then, Lord, help me to trust you completely in light of your unfailing love and goodness, your infinite wisdom and your sovereign power. And help me to obey you unreservedly. Help me to obey you heartily and instantly and completely and continually in light of your sovereign majesty as my creator and sustainer, my rightful king and owner, my Lord and master, and my gracious redeemer. A heart full of the fear of the Lord is a heart that cannot help but walk in the ways of the Lord because that is our highest desire. It's what the new birth is all about, really, isn't it? 
We're told in Scripture repeatedly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We could say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything. Uh, This attitude of fearing the Lord is foundational to everything we want to see God do in our families. For us moms and dads, the first step, the first step in seeking the Lord's blessing on our families is to cultivate continually the fear of the Lord in our own hearts. I think all the time of George Mueller, and I'm sure you're familiar with his example where he said, the first business of my heart every day, the first business of my soul every day is to get my soul happy in God. And I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, I'm not worth anything to anybody until first, alone with God in communion with him, he has brought my soul to overflow with happiness in him. Once that's happened, then we can step out of our prayer closet and be prepared to pass along the Lord's blessing to others. If by God's grace we fear him and walk in his ways, what can we expect? What can we expect? Well, verse 2 tells us what to expect. Look at it. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed And it shall be well with you. There's a note of certainty here, isn't there, that we we can't miss. It's a certainty rooted in the faithfulness of God. Those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways will certainly be blessed by the Lord in all the ways that count. (laughs) There's no guarantee whatsoever here of material prosperity or perfect physical health. No, the promise is a whole lot better than that. The promise here is of a blessing that is not contingent on circumstances. The promise here is of a blessing on families that will be sweetest and richest even in our most trying times. The guarantee here is that all our investments in family are certain to pay rich dividends. And that really, if if you want one phrase this morning to kind of capture what I really am asking the Lord to help you go away with today. Is this, that the investments that you make in your family will pay rich dividends, not only in your life today, but for eternity, for eternity. Verses 3 and 4 give us a wonderful picture of God's blessing resting on a family. Look at it. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The picture here is one of great gladness. The image of the fruitful vine points to the joy that a godly wife and mother brings to a home. In fact, uh, in Judges and in Song of Solomon, it Use this image of the vine is used to picture her cheerfulness and her feminine beauty. And the image of the olive shoots around the table highlight the vitality and promise of the children. The psalm concludes then with a prayer for family blessing in verses 5 and 6. Look at that with me. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. 
may you see your children's children. And then peace be upon Israel. Notice that we see here again a theme that we touched on at the end of the previous psalm. There we saw how succeeding generations of our families can be sent out into the world like arrows to further the Lord's purposes. In here in Psalm 128, we see an expanding influence of a family that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. The, the prayer of the inspired psalmist is that the blessing of the Lord will extend out from the family to Jerusalem and ultimately to all Israel. And here we, we cannot help but think of Abraham and God's promise to him that through his family, ultimately all the families of the earth would be blessed. Only the Lord can bless our families. That's why we put all our trust in him. But he calls us to fear him, to walk in his ways. And he promises that if we will, he will bless our families. He'll make them a channel through which he causes his blessings to flow to the world. This is really one of the most special occasions of my whole life today. I don't hesitate to tell you that. Uh, this is just heart-stopping stuff for me to be with you all here, to be with our family. And this occasion today focuses in my heart like a laser the reality of the blessedness of the connectedness of the generations and that blessing of the Lord being passed on generation after generation. It's amazing to me how investments in family pay rich dividends. Not only for us in our own generations, but also in the lives of those who will come after us. Every day of my life, without exception, I reap rich dividends from the investments that those who came before me made in our family. My dad was a member of what we call the greatest generation. Grew up during the Great Depression. The generation that rose up to oppose the tidal wave of evil that was brought on to the world by Hitler. My dad uh, grew up very, very, very poor. He lost his own father when he was 12. In fact, he really lost him at nine because when my dad was nine, his dad was stricken with TB, which was a killer back then. And the last three years of his life, he was bedridden. Uh, my dad's older brother got married at 16, moved out of the house. So my dad became the head of the house when he was about 12 years old. I'm so thankful. I don't know, Matt, that we have talked about this uh, specifically before, but there was a pastor in my dad's church and he was a kid that I don't think had children of his own but he took an interest in my dad invested in my dad took him fishing all the time and I'm so grateful for the investment that pastor made in my dad but my dad had almost none of the advantages that he would later pass on to me he was not a perfect man by a long shot he was a broken sinner like the rest of us the most important thing about him was that by the grace of God, he saw and felt his need of a Savior, and he trusted Christ as his Lord. 
And he made a great difference during his own lifetime and made investments that will go on paying dividends until the Lord returns. He feared the Lord and sought to walk in his ways. And the Lord greatly blessed our family as a result. His absolute faithfulness to my mother for over 50 years of marriage gave me the most wonderful sense of safety and security. There was never a split second in my whole life that I had any question but what my mom and dad were deeply in love with each other and committed to each other. Every morning of my life growing up, I would hear my dad coming down the hall taking coffee to my mom. And time and time and time again, I would lay there in the bed just as a little kid. And I would think to myself, I cannot wait until I grow up and God lets me have a wife so I can bring her coffee every morning. And that is the great joy of my life now is bringing coffee to my bride every morning. Uh, my dad was a busy pastor, but he always managed to carve out large chunks of time for us boys. Uh, we were always in the yard playing ball, going horseback riding, either fishing, hunting, swimming. We lived on the river. I never, ever felt like my dad didn't have time for us. Quite the contrary. He repeatedly recounted for us Bible stories of people like Daniel who valued God so much that no matter the cost, he was going to be true. And then my dad's own example of his refusal through the years to compromise his convictions just had everything to do in forming me. Of course, he wasn't the only one making investments in me, my mom. My theology doesn't allow me to say that she was perfect, but I want to say, <laughs> I'm tempted to say she was perfect. She was definitely a saint. And every night she would be at our bedside, us boys, reading to us from Hurlbut's story of the Bible. Probably learned more about biblical theology from her than any other place. I knew I could always talk to my folks, especially my dad. When I got in trouble bad, I knew that the safest thing to do was to go to him and just be honest and tell him about it. And I learned from that that I can always go to my Heavenly Father in prayer and know he's going to receive me. Uh, my dad's discipline was, was firm and wise and just uh, painful at times. But his tender affection toward me taught me that there was always forgiveness. I learned from his discipline that there is a God in heaven. He does have standards and there, is, there are just punishments for disobedience, but that he is merciful and forgives sinners. I, in other words, my dad taught me the heart of the gospel. My dad made so much things, so many things easier for me. As a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, he made it so we, all I have to do is follow in his footsteps. No mystery. All I have to do in my life is to try to live out what I saw modeled in front of me every day of my life growing up. 
My dad and mom would be the first to tell you that the investments they made in our family paid rich dividends for them. And their investments in family continue to this day to pay off for me and my family. My folks are just one example of the blessing that comes on a family when, when any sinner comes to Christ, trusts in him, fears him, and walks in his ways. What a joy it's been to partner now with my precious wife, Amy, for 46 years uh, in seeking to enjoy the Lord's blessing together and to fear our Lord together, to walk in his ways together, and to partner in bringing his blessing uh, to our kids and grandkids. At Matt's ordination, as a matter of fact, which was 12, 13 years ago, however long, I shared this. It was pivotal for me, and so this is for you dads in particular. I went through a struggle when Matt was a little guy and his older sister. Uh, because there was a season when I would come home from work in the evenings. And uh, I figured I had worked hard all day, and I was entitled to some rest. And I loved sports page. Y'all remember sports pages? <laughs> uh, paper and ink and all that. How quaint. I would come home in the evenings and I wanted to sit down and read my sports page, catch up on the Braves, see what the box scores were. But I was frustrated because I would try to read my sports page and then Matt would come along wanting to play or something. Ridiculous. <laughs> and I tried everything. <laughs> I would get toys, you know, when he would come around, and I would throw them across the room, fetch, <laughs> hoping if I could distract him, I could do what I wanted to do, what I was entitled to do. And God is so gracious. Was finally, the Lord got through my thick skull to say, you know, you are not enjoying your sports page, and you're not enjoying your kids either. And he led me to make a commitment that for eternity, I will never be able to get over this, and I'll never quit thanking the Lord for this. He led me to make a commitment that when I came home in the evenings after work, I was going to give myself 100% to my children until they were in bed. And then I knew that I would have some time to do what I wanted to do. And that was so wonderful. The Lord did that. And so I, as long as I live, I'll never forget, Matt, the years we had when y'all were little. They were the best years. Coming and having a meal together and, and eating Amy's wonderful cooking and, and uh, having the kids pounding the table, demanding dessert, all in good fun. And then in the evening, you know, uh, family worship, and we were hit or miss, you know. Uh, we were certainly not nearly as consistent as we need to be. And that's one of the messages I want to share with you this morning. God can powerfully use parents that are far from perfect. We were hit or miss, but we, we tried to have some short family devotions and, and to pray over the children in the evening, you know, pray the gospel over them. Lord, bring them to see that they're sinners and they need you. Help them to understand, Lord Jesus, that you died for them on the cross and that you'll forgive their sins and you'll bring them to heaven one day if they just trust you. Just pray the gospel over them. Um, play games in the evenings. Read good books together. Uh, 
those are just wonderful, wonderful years. Wouldn't take anything for them. And my encouragement to you, if you still are in that mode where you still have your kids with you at home, man, seize that. Understand how incredible this. This is the best. These are the best years. These are the best years. Invest, invest, invest every day in those kids. Job, you know, as he thought back on the good days, he said, it's when my children were around me. When your children are there around you, those are the good days, are the best of days. Give your whole heart to that as long as you still have them with you. It's nothing like it. And here's what I want to say. If you'll invest in your family, invest in your kids as best you can. As the years go by, it will boggle your mind what the Lord does through your kids. <laughs> it will boggle your mind what the Lord will do through your kids. I, I know when I go different places, Matt lets me tag along now. He's, he's, the, he's the father and I'm the child at this stage in life. <laughs> And we'll go to like a convention or a conference and I'll get with some of his theological egghead buddies. And, and I go to coffee with them. I'm, now, don't tell anybody. This is a secret. Right? I'm letting y'all in on this. And I'll go and I'll sit down somewhere in a coffee shop with Matt and his friends and they start talking. And I have one job. And that is to keep a straight face and act like I know what they're talking about. <laughs> when I don't have a clue. <laughs> And I just see the Lord using him. And you can't know how sweet that is. And all of the imperfect investments that we tried our best to do are just paying off so wonderfully now. And this doesn't just apply to ministers and their families. Whatever your calling is in life, if you're doing it for the glory of God, the same thing holds true, obviously. And now we get to see our children sent out as arrows to cities like Nashville and see God using our children to spread the blessings of his gospel. Nothing's more thrilling. Nothing. <laughs> and again, how amazing that God could do that even when our whole investment, Amy and me, took place having our kids around us in a little out-of-the-way place. Frisco City, Alabama, I think our population is about 1,000. In fact, one of our leaders in church this last Wednesday, our midweek prayer service, was reminiscing about way back when Frisco City used to have a caution light. But he said they took it down because it was causing too many wrecks. <laughs> now, don't think that Lindsay comes from the same sort of place. She comes from Excel, Alabama. That's three miles across the creek. They actually have both a caution light and a four-way stop. We don't even have a stop sign on our main drag. <laughs> but here we are in these little out-of-the-way places, forgotten places that nobody will ever hear of, but you have your children around you during the day and in the evenings, and you pour your life into them. And God will use your kids to change the world and flood your heart with joy. So give it your best. Give it your best. Give it your best. It's worth it. So amazing to me to see the thrilling. Uh, it's the thrill to see Matt and Lindsay. I'm so thankful for Lindsay. To watch Matt caring for his wife. To see Matt enjoying his sons. 
And I have high hopes, Walter and Sam and Benji. I have really, I'm serious now. Now, as a granddad, I try to be as silly as I can be most of the time. But really, I have high, high hopes that one day God will give you guys wives and children. I have high hopes, and I pray this for you, that you'll be great husbands and great dads. All right? And so here's what you need. You need to be taking notes about the way your dad's raising you. He's doing a jam-up job. He really is. He is. He invests in you guys all the time. You don't know how blessed you are, but ask the Lord to help you know how blessed you are. And take notes, okay? I mean it. Take notes. Again, all we said applies to your particular calling, no matter what it is. But I wouldn't take anything for the special bond that Matt and I share in being pastors and ministers of the gospel. Uh, we share the joy, the bond of being called to ministry. It's the greatest work that any man can ever be called to. What a joy that is. And especially the joy of being a pastor to a particular people, Okay. I love to feast my eyes from afar on how much you all mean to my son and how deeply he loves you. That is such a blessing to my heart. I tell you, another thing is I'm learning so much from him. I'm learning so much about church as family, a family walking together in covenant love. You know, that is a that is a reality that has been lost by just about a whole generation of Baptists. And God has allowed you as a church to rediscover that beautiful principle and be living it out together. It's an amazing thing. And this is what I want to close with. Uh, as much as we love our families and want God to bless them, there aren't any perfect families. No perfect earthly families. But Christ Jesus came into the world to seek for himself a bride. And Isaiah refers to him as the eternal father because he gives us life, brings us into the family of his father. Christ Jesus is forming a perfect family. We've seen in the Psalms this morning about the idea of building a house. Jesus is building a house, isn't he? It's his church. He told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And in John 14, he told his disciples, in my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And he is not building that house in vain because he goes on to say, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am there you may be also. We've seen in the Psalms this morning the concept of a city. Augustine famously said that we as the church are the city of God. And we know that our Lord is watching over this city, this church that he loves. And his watching is not in vain. Not at all. Because we're reassured by his words in John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of my Father, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is it, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Perhaps best of all, Jesus submitted to something else we saw in our text, this idea of anxious toil. He submitted to the anxious toil of Gethsemane in Golgotha in order to set us free from the anxious toil of trying to earn our acceptance with God, which is an absolute impossibility. And his anxious toil on the cross was not in vain. That's what was prophesied, wasn't it, in Isaiah 53? As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. In other words, as a result of the anxious toil of his soul on the cross, he will see the saving results of his death and know that his labor was not in vain as he sees his death resulting in the Lord bringing together a family from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation the world over. Because of his anxious toil, he gives us rest. He gives us the gift of forgiveness by going to the cross and suffering there. He suffered all the punishment for all of the sins of all of his people. For all those who turn to him and trust him as Lord and Savior. He gives us the gift of credit in the sight of his Father for his own perfect obedience. He gives us that gift of credit for his righteousness so that we can have the approval and acceptance of his Father. He gives to us the gift of everlasting life. How wonderful that because of his great compassion for us, we can come to Jesus and rest in him. And it's just, it's just so good to know that one day, as perfected children of God, as perfected brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we will all be seated together with our perfect Heavenly Father and His perfect Son. We'll be seated together in His house, seated around His table in the perfect world, world of perfect love and perfect joy, together with each other, together with Him forever. Let's bow together. And as our heads are bowed, let me just uh, encourage you. It may be that you're still thinking about Christianity, have not yet come to know Christ personally. I just want to encourage you to, to, to remember this, because I think you know it. There is no real safety in this world. There really is no rest but the Lord Jesus offers to you the forgiveness of all your sins, the gift of righteousness, the free gift of eternal life. If you'll just come to him and rest in him. Just, and you know, this really is so simple. He's made it so simple. He calls you to repent. And all that means is just understanding that the God who made all things knows more than we do. So just ask him to take control of your life and help you live for him. 
And then he calls on us to have faith or believe. He calls on us to trust him. And that just simply means admitting the obvious, which is that we could never earn salvation. But just telling him in so many words doesn't matter exactly how you put it, but just from your heart, let him know that you understand that you're a sinner and you deserve condemnation, that you, that you know that you can't save yourself, but that you believe that he can. Just ask him to save you. And then to my Christian friends, let me just say, let me encourage you to desire like never before the blessing of the Lord in your own life. Fear him and walk in his ways. Endeavor to look for him and see him. Endeavor to know him and love him and trust him. Treasure him and obey him. Let him flood your heart to overflowing with joy and to cause that blessing to flow into the lives of your children. Trust the Lord to bless your family, but please be responsible to do your best to live out the things he calls you to. It will pay rich dividends forever. Now, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your incredible grace and blessing. And we ask that you would work all these things in our lives and in our families for our good, certainly, and, and for the good of our children, our children's children. But Lord, more than that, work these graces in our lives for the good of the whole world and for the glory of your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.